right, this morning, if you have your Bibles, turn with me if you would. We're going to go to our foundational text that we've been on in the past few weeks in the book of Acts, chapter 11. We're going to go straight to the verse of 26. Uh, Let me go ahead and pray as you're turning there, and then we're going to continue developing our series of thoughts on what kind of Christian are we as we're fleshing out what kind of church, Antioch Church is and is going to become. Father, we thank you for the empowerment of your spirit that is here for us, with us, upon us. Lord, we thank you for the anointing of God that destroys the yoke, that looses every bondage, every shackle, every chain, that frees strongholds that have been built up into our minds. Father, we, t- we pray today for a circumcision of our minds, the spirit of our mind. Father, we have followed the thinking patterns of this world and the philosophies and the belief systems of this world, even as it relates to Christianity. We ask today for a shedding and a circumcising and a sanctifying and a redeeming work of your spirit. Help us to think biblically. Help us to think according to your kingdom, we pray in Jesus' name. And a hearty amen from the house. Amen. Amen. Book of Acts chapter 11. Skipping straight to verse 26, scripture says, and when he had found him, meaning Barnabas, finding Saul, he brought him to Antioch. And so for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and they discipled the church. They taught the church. They foundationed the church. They established the church. They taught a great number of people. And watch this, the disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. They were called Christians first. I encourage you to go online and take a listen if you haven't heard our previous two messages. I'm going to do a quick review of last week's message. There's a lot of information to cover, but I'm going to do a quick review of last week's message. We're talking about different kinds of Christian. You know, in the scriptures there, when they used the word Christian, the word there was Christianos, very simply it meant a follower of Jesus. The disciples were first called followers of Jesus. They were set apart from the rest of the culture because they followed the teaching, they followed the way, they followed the pattern, they followed the life, they followed the person, they followed the spirit of Jesus. And that set them apart in such a dramatic capacity that the people around them said, these guys are, these guys are followers of Jesus. These guys are Christians, they are Christianos. Today, many people call themselves Christians, but as we examine the fruit of their Christianity, what we will discover is that there have been many types of Christianity that have emerged over the years in our culture. I'm gonna do a quick review from last week, very quickly. Uh, Five types of Christian. There's many different types, but there's five types that we're talking about. Number one is the cultural Christian. This is the Christian that determines their view of God, their view of church, their view of the kingdom, their view of life, their view of relationships, their view of social issues. All of those things are shaped more by popular opinion and by the culture around them. Very simple. Number two, the consumer Christian. Their description is uh, they shape or their views of life and their views of God, church, are shaped more by their enjoyment and by personal gain. I call this, this, these are the marketable Christians, the masses. How can we market things down to the lowest common denominator to get as many people in as we possibly can? Number three, we have the convenient Christian. This is the type of Christian who's motivated by convenience. They're motivated by comfort, pleasure, ease. Their decisions are determined more by what's easy. They, have, they tend to have more of a works-oriented approach. Uh, what, what, how much can I get uh, with doing the least amount? Number four, we have the crisis Christian. These are the Christians who determine their view of God by what kind of help can I get in my time of need? And then finally, we have the kingdom Christian, which is what Antioch Church is striving to build. We're striving to become a Christian people. We're striving to become a kingdom congregation. And their view of God, church, and life is determined by scripture. It's determined by God's spirit and it's determined by sonship. 
Last week, we talked about these different types of Christians and their approach to Jesus. I'm not gonna go into all that today. We hit a number of different things, why they follow Jesus, who they see Jesus as, how these different types of Christians um, approach Jesus, what they believe Jesus should do, how they view the words of Jesus. Today, we're gonna talk about these five different types of Christian and their approach to scripture. How do these different types of Christians approach the truth, the authority, the validity, the veracity, the truthfulness of the word of God? It's very, very important. Let me talk very quickly to set some foundation before we go back into our grid here on why it's important for us to understand what kind of approach we are taking to the word of God. Let me just set the stage there. Number one, it's important because our attitude towards God's word reveals our attitude towards God. That's very simple. We can pull this down into the natural. Your attitude towards somebody's words, your attitude towards what somebody is saying, your attitude towards how they are speaking to you reveals your attitude towards that person. If you have a nonchalant attitude towards what they say, you probably don't have a lot of value for who they are. Now, most of us, might get a little uncomfortable with that reality. But the truth of the matter is, if I don't care about what God says, I must seriously evaluate whether or not I care about who God is. Secondarily to that, if I still live my life as if God's word is not the ultimate authority, it'd be very difficult for me to espouse that God is the ultimate authority in my life. See, Semantically, we can say God is the ultimate authority in my life. He's sovereign, he's God, he's control of everything. But where the rubber meets the road on that is do you allow what God says to you to become the final authority in your life? Number two, the reason why it's important that we understand our approach to scripture is because it reveals who we are. Number one, it reveals who God is to us. Number two, it reveals something about ourselves. Our approach to scripture reveals maybe that there's an element of rebellion in our heart. Perhaps our lethargic approach to scripture reveals that there's an element of carelessness inside of our hearts. Perhaps it reveals that we truly don't value God to the degree that we say we do or want to because we're not paying attention to what he has to say. If you've ever been around someone when you're speaking and you you see them checking out or I work with my kids a lot, I'm like, look me in the eyes when I'm speaking to you. Look me in the eyes. Look eye, look eye, Daniel son. Always look eye. Because it's 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 important that someone give you their attention. And so the question that we must ask ourselves is: when God is speaking to us through the word of God, are we giving him our attention? Are we focusing? Are we dialing in? Are we posturing our heart in a place of the fear of the Lord? Are we posturing our heart in a place of humility mixed with incredible reverence? Are we posturing our heart where we will respond quickly because the authority of the king has spoken? Again, referencing my children. When I have to tell them something three and four and five times, the margin of patience begins to grow a little thin. And the phrase that I use with my kids is, listen, first time obedience. If you you value what daddy says, then you'll do what daddy asks and you'll do it quickly. You'll do it the first time. This is a posture of readiness. And the question here that we must ask ourselves is, do you have a posture of readiness towards the word? See, when we begin to circumcise all of our religious approaches to the word, we can really scale things down to these questions. Do I value the word? Do I love the God of the word? And is my heart positioned in a place of readiness to respond in obedience when my father and my king speak to me through his word? The word of God is non-negotiable and our attitude towards the word reveals that. Number three, it's important for us to understand where our approaches to the word of God is because it determines what we believe. This is very important. We are either influencing or we're being influenced at all times. There is no middle ground. In all situations, 
in every conversation, in the media that you listen to, you are either being influenced or you are influencing. And I believe as sons and daughters of God, as members of his kingdom, I believe that the church is to be the greatest influence upon culture, not the other way around. And the way that we determine whether or not we will be that influence is by what we put in to our spirit and our mind. You will either influence or you will be influenced. And the truth of the matter is very simply, if the word of God does not hold the place in our hearts and in our minds that it should, then we will never influence the culture for eternity. The word of God has the answers for godly business, godly education. The word of God is not just a moral book. The word of God holds the design. It holds the wisdom. It holds the understanding for how governments are to work. It holds the understanding for how marriage is supposed to look like. And to the degree that we stray from what God says those things are supposed to look like, to that degree, we will either have a culture of the goodness of God or we'll have a culture of the enemy. It's very, very simple. Number four, it's important for us to understand our approach to scripture because not only does it reveal our attitude towards who God is, not only does it reveal who we are, not only does it determine what we believe, but what you believe will determine how you live. It will determine how you live. Like a tree whose roots go down into the ground, your root structure is what you think. It's what you believe. That is the roots of your life. And every root of an idea will produce a fruit of an action. at the root of some of the legislation that is going on in our culture, at the root of the devaluing of humanity, at the root of some of the atrocious crimes and the atrocious sins against people and against life and against babies that is going on, at the root of that, there is a belief system that is not grounded in the truth of God's word. David said it so well when he came up earlier this morning, John chapter 10, verse 10. I have come to give you life. When we allow the author of life and the creator of life to impose his value for life upon us, it will and it should supersede our own opinions, our own pleasure. It should supersede the easy road if we are to be kingdom Christians. I want you to write this phrase down if you're taking notes. Life flows from what we think. Believe it or not, the thoughts that you think that you're conscious of or that you're unconscious of will determine your life. It will determine how you vote. It will determine how you approach information. It will determine the grid through which you receive information. It will determine how you process that information. It will determine how you present that information. All of life that comes into us is coming in through a grid, a presuppositional grid, a worldview grid, a belief system grid. Everything that you are exposed to is coming in through that grid. And that grid will do one of two things. It will either confirm the authority of God and support that or will deny the authority of God and reject it. Very simple. All of life. Life flows from what you think. Pay attention to what you're thinking. Pay attention. When you're reading the news, when you're listening to the news, when you're uh, engaging in a particular conversation, pay attention to the underlying thought process that are going on beneath that. Let's take a look at a couple of verses here. Romans chapter eight, verse five. Turn there with me in your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Romans chapter eight, verse five. And we're going to read verses five through eight. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. Now, let's just pause real quick. I want you to, first of all, interpret that from a personal and individual standpoint. 
Think about the personal struggles of your life. Think about your reactions in times of stress and pressure. Think about the things that come out of your mouth and just examine that here. Those who live according to the sinful nature. The sinful nature is described in Galatians chapter five, beginning in verse 19. The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, idolatry, witchcraft. What does that mean? Trying to control other people, trying to manipulate other people to get them to do what you want them to do. Envy, strife, division. Is there division in your home? Is there division at your work? It's a fruit of the sinful nature. James says it likes this. It says that all selfish ambition results in division. Very simple. Anytime that you put more than one person in an equation and one of those people, one of those variables in the equation is operating for themselves, you're gonna result in division. And here's what, now, now, now let's zoom out a little bit because I've always read these scriptures in Romans and I've thought about them just according to my own individual life. Let's zoom out on a macro level here. Let's zoom out on a cultural level here and let's think about the sy systemic issues of our day. The truth of the matter here in Romans 8 addresses the systemic issues that have resulted from improper worldview. Those who live according to the sinful nature. Let me translate this for you. The nation, the state, the city, the school, the government, the council, the school board, the marriage. Okay, let's just kind of look at these different fields here. Those things that are living according to the sinful nature. In other words, the patterns of sin that are operating on a macro level are the fruit of the thoughts of a collective people. The patterns of sin on a macro level are the result or the fruit of what that collective group of people are thinking upon, what they're setting their minds upon, what they value or what they don't value what they uphold, what they don't uphold, what they tolerate, what they have conviction, all of those things will determine the collective movement and direction of an entire people group. The scripture was not written just for our individual enlightenment. It was not written just for our individual direction. It was also written to speak to nations, to speak to society. Let's keep reading here. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The Spirit of God has a desire for Colorado. The Spirit of God has a desire for what the educational classroom looks like. And to the degree that we have people who are making decisions about what the educational classroom will look like, whose minds are set on what the Spirit desires to that degree, the fruit of what the spirit desires will be in those environments. What you think upon will determine what flows out of your life on the individual level, to the macro, to the global level. Verse six, the mind of sinful man is death. Let's pause right there. The mind of sinful man is death. The mind of sinful man is death. So to the degree that on a corporate national level, we are meditating upon, or let's look at it this way, to the degree that our root structures are set in the ideas of humanistic philosophy, to that degree, we will experience death economically, death to our marriages, death to our family, death to our children, death to our thinking. De the, the truth of God brings life. The truth of God brings life. I was reading a couple days ago about William Carey when he went to the Indians and, he, and he, he marveled at how uneducated these people were. And so as a result, not only did he come to bring the gospel, but he came to educate them. He came to restore the dignity of thought to them. He came to bring them into the image of God by accelerating the development of their thinking. That is Christian. That is a Christian responsibility. That is a Christian function to help people steward their thinking before God. 
And so William Carey, many, many people think, oh, he just came and he just, you know, just Jesus loves you, this I know. No, he completely transformed their entire way of life because that is what the kingdom does. He helped them think. He helped them learn. He helped them steward their mind, their conscience. He helped them develop themselves, their, 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 their society, their people. That's what the kingdom does. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the spirit is life and it is peace. To the degree that a family is led by the spirit, it will be life and peace. To the degree that a school, to the degree that a state is governed by the spirit. What, is that? what do I mean by that? By the principles and the patterns of the truth of God's word operated by the power of God's spirit to that degree will experience life. You'll experience life in the ground. You'll experience life in the agriculture. You'll experience life in the weather patterns. You'll experience life in the economy. Life is a result of following God's ways. This is Deuteronomy chapter 28. If you obey me, you'll experience life. You'll experience blessing. You'll experience the empowerment and the agreement of heaven touching earth. When you're in alignment with my spirit and my truth, then what happens is you begin to tap into the strength and the power of heaven that now begins to invade your business and your teaching. It begins to invade your marriage. It begins to invade every part of society. The art will look different. It will look more beautiful because beauty is objective. There are standards of beauty as revealed in the truth of God's scripture that will begin to become more, the art will reflect the glory of God when we find ourselves meditating on the truth of who God is. The culture that is controlled by the spirit, the culture that is honoring, submitting to what God's spirit says, that culture will have life and peace as a result. Proverbs says this, that when a righteous leader begins to lead, that when a righteous leader is getting the heart and the mind of God on issues, on judgments, on situations, to the degree that righteousness prevails, the people will experience joy and peace. That's scripture. But to the degree that we do not have righteousness, righteous thoughts, righteous principles, righteous values that are governing and guiding a people to that degree that it's not happening, that people will not experience life and peace. That people will experience conflict. They'll experience turmoil. They'll experience despair, hopelessness. That's why who you vote for matters. That's why who you vote for, even on the local uh, school board level, which is coming up this week, next week, matters. That's why it's important that we study. That's why it's important that we do our research. Come on, talk to me now, church. Don't be lazy. Let's keep reading here. Verse seven, the sinful mind is hostile to God. Hostile. Colossians 1.21 says it like this. It says that we were enemies with God. This isn't preached very much, but we need to understand this. There are really only two systems of thought. There's God's system of thought and there's the devil's. And it doesn't really matter how many different names we put on the enemy's faces. If it's not flowing from the truth of God's spirit and the truth of God's word, it is a lie and it comes from the father of lies. Now that doesn't preach very well, but friends, that is truth. If it doesn't align itself, if it doesn't submit to the authority of scripture, it is from the devil. It is from Satan. It is from the father of lies. It is from Lucifer. I don't know how many other ways, ways to, to frame this thing. Okay, all right. It's from, it's from that guy, okay? It's from darkness, it will produce death. It will not give you what it's promising to give you if it is not submitting to the veracity and the authority of God's truth. Your view on truth is probably one of the most important things in your life because life flows from what we think. Look at this, verse seven, the sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law nor can it do so. It does not submit to God's law. 
I don't know how many, how many different ways we have to spin this from the individual level to the marital level, to the church level, to the societal level. When you see things that are not producing the life of God at the root of it, it's very, very simple. They are not submitting to the truth of God's wisdom, God's ways, God's principles, and God's patterns, and God's values. They are rebelling. They are choosing their own way, just like man chose his own way in the garden. And the result was chaos and sin and disorder and death. Verse eight, those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. All right, so what we think about determines how we live. And finally, all of these things, they determine the culture that we create. You know, it is no mistake that in Genesis chapter one, verse 26, where the word says that God created mankind in his image, you and I have the ability to create and shape life. You have the ability to create environments. At your school, Tyler Ward, on your football team, with your friends, with the small little group of friends that you're with, two things are happening. Either number one, you are creating an environment of heaven in that place. Hey guys, we're not gonna, we're not gonna talk about that person. Hey guys, we're gonna protect that person over there. I'm not gonna laugh at that stuff. Are you kidding me? That's, that's ridiculous. Let's not laugh at that. Let's pull the thing up higher. You're either gonna create the environment or you're gonna be shaped by that environment. And you'll end up a dummy. Dummies are shaped by their environments. They're not leaders, they're followers, they're not thinkers, they're dummies. Don't be a dummy. Look at your neighbor and say, don't be a dummy. Ha, ha, ha. Okay, let's, let's try to work our way through some of this. Let's, um, let's take the approach to scripture and let's walk through our grid here. Number one, the cultural Christian. Let's talk about the basis of truth. This is very, very important. I think perhaps out of all these four types of Christian before we get to the kingdom Christian, the cultural Christian perhaps is one of the most dangerous. Let's take a look at what their basis of truth is built on. It's built on what I believe. In other words, if I believe this is true, then it's true. Regardless of whether or not it's true or not, if I believe it's true, then it's true. Are you with me on this? Now the danger here and the danger with all of these that we're gonna discover is that this mindset makes self the starting point. Me as a finite, limited, sinful human being, if I determine that to be true because it sounds true, because I'm using the unredeemed logic of my mind or because I'm using the unredeemed emotions of my soul, if I, if I think that should be true, you know, that should be true. It really should be true that we treat those kinds of people. You know, that, that should, so because it should be and because it's really not fair, then, 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 then that's true. No, no, truth is truth because it's truth whether you agree to the fact that it's truth or not. You know, it is strikingly arrogant for us to presume that something is true simply because we say it's true or believe it's true or want it to be true or feel it's true. That's arrogant. This approach to the validity of the word of God says, it is true because I say it is so versus it is true because God says it's so. You know, you could easily insert whatever cultural thought you want into this. It's true that a mother's rights are more important than the life of a child because I believe it should be so. You know, it should be. I'm sympathetic towards those women. And so because I'm sympathetic towards them, you know, this, this, this is wrong. And, and, and what about the mom? And so because, because I think that should be true, then, then that's what truth is. That's not truth, according to scripture. What's your basis for authority? That's the question you must ask yourself. In any conversation that you get into, this is why the attack on the validity of scripture is so important to the enemy. 
Because if he can remove the authority of the truth of scripture, if he can remove the governing authority of scripture, then we have nothing to stand upon. That's what relativism is all about. It's true that I should be able to do whatever I want with my body because I feel like it. So that's true. And what we see, and here's what not many people are telling us, not many people are telling us that the fruit of those decisions is pain. And the fruit of those decisions is death on some level. It may not be immediate, but you will see some area of your life die to the degree that we remove ourselves from the truth of God's law and scripture to that degree we'll experience death in our lives. Death in our thinking, death in our emotions, death in our hope, death in our relationships, death in our outlook. Death will settle in on some level. It is true that I can approach God however I want to. It is true that I don't have to go to church if I don't want to. What, what is, it's true because I think it should be true. We are not capable of creating truth. If truth is essentially spirit, Truth is spiritual in nature. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of uh, 1 Corinthians, chapter 2. I got a couple of side nods with that. Truth is not mental or intellectual in its essence. The essence of truth is spiritual. which means that it can only truly be discerned by those who have God's spirit. People who do not have God's spirit may be able to sense, they may be able to at some level say, I, I, I'm, I'm seeing the logic behind this, but this is why the scripture says, this is how then you know that you are a child of God because your spirit agrees your spirit who has now been made alive by God's spirit who is enjoined inside of you says, you are now a child of God. And you say, I cannot explain it, but I know that this is true. Because truth is spiritual in its very nature. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter two. Let's go to uh, verse nine. This is why I don't spend a lot of time arguing with atheists and agnostics because they can't understand truth. All they can understand is fallacious arguments built on human logic. But until there is an opening of their heart to where they have a readiness to receive and respond to the truth, we're gonna both be wasting our time. It doesn't mean I don't love them. It doesn't mean that I don't serve them. It doesn't mean I don't bless them. It doesn't mean I don't pray for them. It doesn't mean any of those things. It just means you can never win a person's heart. You can never explain truth by facts. It must be revealed because truth is spirit in nature. There must be a blinder that is removed from the eyes of a person's spirit and they go, oh, it's true. That is what revelation is. First Corinthians chapter two, verse nine, let's read together. However, as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard. It cannot even be conceived in the mind of man what God has prepared for those who love him, but God has revealed it. There was a show many years ago called, uh, well, I was thinking of one particular show. I'll go with another one. <laughs> I was thinking about a car show, but this one, we'll go to the house. So, you know, um, Extreme Homemaker, right? Home Edition or Extreme Makeover Home Edition. Ty Pennington gets up there and they take a person's dilapidated house and they transform it. They do all these incredible things. And at the end of the show, they have this big bus, they bring the family in, and they have this between, between the truth of what is now and between their reality, between their understanding, uh, there is something that is covered. And he says, move that bus, that's revelation. Very simple. Something that was once hidden to me, something that was once closed to my understanding has been removed. It's called revelation. This is what God is saying here. It says, God has revealed what is available to you by his spirit. He has revealed the life that you could live. He's revealed what marriage and family and government and education and society could look like by his spirit. Let's keep reading. The spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? You don't even know your thoughts without the Spirit of God. 
Even the most intellectually brilliant people who have devised these humanistic, secular-based philosophies who think that they understand the inner workings of the mind. Scripture says you don't even know your thoughts without the Spirit of God. Can't even do it. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. God has mysteries and secrets and patterns and principles for everything that you're doing. Let me just drive, let me drill this in right here. Whatever it is that you're doing in life, God has a way for it. What Administration, organization, communication, interpersonal, relational skills, negotiation, conflict management, media, whatever it is, there is something in the heart and reality of God. There is a way and there is an approach in who God is for everything, art, drama, music, dance. There is something in God for you to explore. Don't ever get satisfied. There's more. There are more secrets to governing because God's a master governor. It doesn't matter what you've created with your hands in terms of art and beauty. There's more because God is a master artist and there's more inside of him that he wants to create. Songs, sounds. Oh, come on, somebody. There's words. There's words. There, there, the, the arrangement of words that are hanging out in the master author. And he's saying, if you'll come and if you'll explore me, I will reveal to you hidden things that you know not. And you will write things like you never knew you could write that will reveal my brilliance to the earth. Oh, this is awesome. Nations are discipled when we get into the brilliance of who God is and we begin to incarnate that into the earth. Nothing that you are doing is ordinary, mundane, or purposeless when you're engaging with the brilliance of who God is in the earth. Nothing. Everything has meaning and purpose, everything. Let's keep reading here. This is what we speak, verse 13. Not in words taught us by human wisdom, logic, unredeemed, unsanctified logic of man's mind, but it has been taught us in words that have been taught by the Spirit. Look at this, expressing spiritual truths in spiritual words. The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit, for they are foolishness, and he cannot understand them because they're spiritually discerned. At the root of every social issue, let me just scale this all the way down. I'm gonna make this very, very simple. At the root of every social issue, the Christian approach, don't get caught up in all the little traps that they set for you. The Christian approach asks this question. Does this issue, does this teaching, does this mindset, does this belief, does this law, does this fill in the blank, does it support the authority of who God is and seek to advance that authority in the earth? Or does this law, does this issue, does this thought, does this belief system, does it reject the authority of God? Because every issue will scale down to those two questions. Cultural Christianity, their approach to the word says, it's true to the degree that I believe it's true. The consumer Christian says, it's true to the degree that I receive. What does that mean? Think about this. It means the word has a return. I've heard many word of faith preachers preach this and I've lived this and I've, I've, I've really built up my spirit according to this. But they would say, you need to focus on the vitamin scriptures. You need to focus on the scriptures that tell you all the great things that you can get. All the parts of your inheritance, all the things that are gonna make you strong and mighty and powerful. And, and, and there is an element of truth to that. But the vitamin scriptures don't talk about suffering or they don't talk about trusting God in the midst of what happens when I confess every scripture and it doesn't come to me immediately. The consumer Christian says, well, to the degree that I receive from the word, to that degree, it's true. And if I'm not receiving immediately, if I'm not receiving what I want or how much I want, or if I'm not receiving more, then maybe this thing isn't what it's cut out to be. What, what, what are we talking about here? What is your basis of authority? 
Consumer Christians can tend to be externally motivated when it comes to determining the authority of God's word. God's word is authoritative if I have stuff. God's word is authoritative if it produces what I want it to produce. No, friends, God's word is authoritative because it comes from God and God is the ultimate authority. This is making sense? Again, look at the common denominator here. This mindset makes itself the starting point. God's word is true and it holds authority for all of life regardless of what you receive. Now, the beautiful thing here is that God does promise us blessing. But God is interested in the condition and the development of your heart and your maturity, which is not what the consumer Christian approach to the word of God addresses. So you may not have what you want from the word because God knows that you are not mature enough yet to steward it. And his goal is to mature you so that you can steward more for his kingdom. Number three, the convenient Christian's approach says, God's word is true to the degree that I achieve. So the cultural Christian says, it's true to the degree that I believe. It's true. The consumer says, it's true to the degree that I receive from it. But the convenient Christian says, you know, if, if I achieve, if, if I'm performing better, if it's producing results, the convenient Christian has a very short-term perspective on life and the word. They question God's word when they are not doing what they assume they should be doing when they want to be doing it. If consumer Christians approach the word deals with stuff, then the convenient Christians approach the word deals with time. Things should be happening more quickly. I should be more advanced. I should, my ministry should be further than it is right now. The convenient Christian says, I'm gonna put the least in and try to get the most out. They take shortcuts. You know, there are many preachers that don't dive into the word of God. They do a little Google search and they hear what other preachers are preaching. That's called convenient Christianity. That's called taking a, you know, if this helps me perform, if this helps me achieve more, if this helps me get further with less input. This is like those uh, weight loss commercials all promises of incredible gains with minimal effort. Help me achieve more with less. And to the degree you can help me do that, to that degree, you'll be true. The convenient Christian questions the authority of God when things aren't happening when they want them to happen. Are you hearing me today? The crisis Christian their approach to the word of God, the basis of the word is, it's true to the degree that I'm relieved. What does this mean? The word is true, not because I believe it's true, not because it is producing something, not because it's getting me results, but the word is true because you say it's true and go ahead and say what you wanna say because I just wanna actually get out of this crisis that I'm in right now. The crisis Christian is not interested in hearing truth. They're not interested in the authority of scripture because the crisis Christian is not really interested in change. The person who refuses to change, the person who has deceived themselves, and the Bible calls it a fool. In fact, when you read through the book of Proverbs, every time you see a fool, just write crisis Christian. It's the truth. I'm not talking about people who go through difficult times. I'm talking about people who choose to remain in difficulty because of their self-deception, ignorance, and stubbornness against truth and against the difficulty of changing to get them out of it. Are you hearing me today, church? I am not talking about someone who's fallen on hard times. I'm not talking about someone who's gone through difficulty in their life. I am talking about the person who stubbornly and arrogantly defies truth because they're not willing to change. That is the crisis Christian and they will continue to be in a perpetual cycle of emergency, urgency, drama, and crisis because they refuse truth. We are deceived by the excuses and lies that we tell ourselves. The crisis Christian says, you know, that scripture thing may work for you, but it doesn't work for me. They're excuse-driven. Ask yourselves, have you done that before? 
When you've had a friend or a life group leader or a pastor or a coach or a parent who comes to you and says, listen, if you'll just work on this right here, if you'll change this, you know what you're doing. And you'll say, oh yeah, yeah, I, I know. Do you know what that is? That's crisis Christianity. It's foolish. Or if you say, if you look for all the reasons why it works for them and doesn't work for you, you are choosing to remain in your crises. Get out of that crisis. Let the truth of scripture transform you. It's what it was designed to do. The scripture was not given to us just to inform us. It was given to us to transform us. Which means that it will require change from us. The crisis Christian doesn't like to change. They're excuse driven. Finally, the kingdom Christian says, just take two minutes here and I'll close. The kingdom Christian says, the basis of truth is the spirit of truth. God. Because God spoke it, it is true. Because God is true and God spoke it, it is true. John chapter one, verse one, in the beginning was the word, which means that truth is eternal. We could get into the uh, original intent of the constitution. We could get into the big, you know, the, the, the entire, on a national level here, if we can remove the moorings of our foundational document, if we can make the constitution relative, we can do whatever we wanna do. Think about that. There is no plumb line of standard. If we, can, if we can just so slyly and cleverly say that that worked for them then, but it must be changed now. Because after all, truth is not eternal. Truth is relative to what I expect or desire or demand truth to be. And therefore, the moorings and the standards of which civilization and society has lived itself righteously for hundreds of years must change because that worked for them then. It doesn't work for us now. Are you hearing me? The kingdom Christian says the truth is the truth because God is true and because God is eternal, truth will never change. So it doesn't matter what culture I go into. It doesn't matter what time period I go into. If truth is truth, it is truth for all cultures. It is truth for all time periods. It is truth for all races. It is truth for all genders. It is truth for every generation, young and old. Because truth never changes because truth comes from who God is. Are you hearing me this morning? Jesus says, I am giving to you the spirit of truth. John chapter 16, verse 13. To guide you into all truth. You have God's spirit and you have God's word. To be a prophetic voice to your culture. And God will give you wisdom. My prayer for you today, church, is this, that you will be harmless as a dove. You'll be so innocent. People will find themselves, they just, they just, you'll be able to say things to people that nobody else will be able to say. Come on, somebody pull on this. I'm blessing you today. You're gonna find yourself, the scripture says, even your enemies will be at peace with you. You'll find yourself and you'll say, oh, you know, I just don't really disagree with that. Yeah, here's some thoughts that I have and they'll just go, huh, what, what is that? When anybody else in the room would have said it and they would have thrown up walls, but God is blessing you as a kingdom son and daughter to just be as harmless and innocent as a dove, to be smart and wise and cunning and crafty as a serpent and you'll go right to the heart and the root of the presupposition and go, well, you know, I really think the issue here is this, but we can, we can talk about that later. I'm telling you, you're gonna have some conversations. And some conversations, you're gonna, the spirit of God inside of you is gonna say, don't address that. Be at peace. Forgive them, love them, bless them, smile. Avoid. The spirit of God is gonna do that. This week even, you're gonna find yourself in some confrontational situations and the spirit of God inside of you is gonna say, that's not truth, just back up a little bit. And then there's gonna be moments, this week even church, listen, this week you're gonna find yourself and it may just be a word, it may just be a thought, it may just be one, it may be a one-liner, it might just be a question that you ask and the, whoosh, the spirit of God's gonna breathe on it and he's gonna take that word and it's gonna go straight into the thinking system of a person around you, even Christians, even parents. And they're gonna go, I never thought about that before. 
because God breathes on God's words. God breathes on God's words. There is a, wis- there is a wisdom for you, for your assignment in your field. Oh, in the name of Jesus. Come on, somebody stand up. I'm gonna bless you this morning. In the name of Jesus, stir it up right now. Holy Spirit, I pray. Stir up the spirit of wisdom inside of us. Give us the spirit of truth. Give us the spirit of counsel. Make us as wise as a serpent and as harmless as a dove. Make us innocent. Make us gentle. Make us sharp. Make us precise. I pray a razor sharp precision on you. Your conversations will be disarming. You'll find yourself deconstructing the strongholds of sinful lies that have been put in people's minds. Your questions will disarm and defuse in the name of Jesus. I bless you today. I pray that in this house that God would just grant upon you a spirit of counsel. You'll find yourself counseling those that write laws. You'll find yourself counseling school boards. You'll find yourself counseling even your boss. Even your boss will come to you and they'll be asking you questions about their marriage and you'll just be as so humble and you'll just be so truthful and you'll be so honest and you'll share things with them that will change the course of their lives. I pray a Daniel anointing on you. A Daniel Daniel anointing, a Daniel anointing. You'll stand before kings. You'll interpret dreams. You'll have prophetic symbols. You'll have an understanding to the situations and the seasons and the times around you. A Daniel anointing upon you in the name of Jesus. An interpreting anointing upon you in the name of Jesus. A loyalty to truth in the name of Jesus. And we pray this day that cultural, consumer, convenient, and crisis Christianity be shed off of our minds be circumcised be cut off of our thinking patterns in the name of Jesus we love the word and the spirit of truth is upon us I bless you this day church with the spirit of truth the spirit of truth love the truth love the truth follow the truth Let the spirit of truth grow inside of you. I pray that even this week, you find yourself discerning and understanding the word like never before. This week even, there are are questions and there are problems. I I wanna prophesy over you that there are even city, local, state, and national problems that when you read the newspapers, you're gonna say, oh, this is the root of that right there. And there'll be a scripture that comes into you and it will unlock and fold before you. You're gonna write blogs. You're gonna send emails. You're gonna write articles. You're gonna address the issues of the culture with the truth of God's word. And it is going to change like leaven, like leaven of the kingdom. Mindsets will begin to be changed. Friends, step out of the boat. Step out of the boat. Go ahead and write that thing. Go ahead and have that conversation. Go ahead and invite that person out to coffee. I bless you this day. Be a kingdom son and daughter and change the world in Jesus' name. Come on, give God a hand clap today. God bless you, church. Go build the kingdom this week. Go advance the kingdom in your neighborhood. Go build the business of God in the earth in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, slap somebody a high five as you're leaving today.